Welcome to the weekly podcast from St Michael's Church Littleshall and St John's Church Muxton, two churches on the northeastern side of Telford in Shropshire in the UK. My name is Matthew and I'm Vicar here. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the next half an hour where we'll hear from God's word, we'll hear it explained to us and we'll have a chance to pray. We're following a series of talks at the moment, the titles of which our young people have set for us. And so today we're looking at the question of why is Christianity true and comparing this with other religions. And Jan Stackhouse, one of our team of preachers, has taken on the task of answering this. But before I hand over to her, we're going to spend a moment in a time where we say sorry to God for the things that we've done wrong and the things that we've failed to do, which we know we should have. The grace of God has dawned upon the world with healing for all. Let us come to him in sorrow for our sins, seeking healing and salvation. And if you'd like to join in this prayer, I'll leave spaces and you can say it after me. Lord God, we come to you with sorrow for our sins. And we ask for your help and strength. Help us to know ourselves and to accept our weakness. Strengthen us with your forgiving love, that we may more courageously follow and obey your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now hear these words of forgiveness spoken over us. May the God of love bring us back to himself, forgive us our sins, and assure us of his eternal love. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. now going to hand over to Jan who will start her talk and the readings which come in between sections of the talk will be read by Fran. Good morning my name is Jan Stackhouse and I'm a member of the service leading team at St John's Muxton and St Michael's Lillishaw's churches and it's my privilege today um, to bring to you a talk that's been influenced in response to some questions our young people have raised. And today the topic is, what about other faiths? How can we say ours is true and theirs is not? And I guess it is something most of us will have been asked by others at some time in our lives. And maybe our answers have been challenged and we've been presented with other theories in response that we've struggled to give an answer to. I know I've been in this position, especially when I've had limited understanding of other faiths. Sadly today, I'm not sure that I'll be able to equip you with slick answers to tuck away in your mind to combat this. But I will try and offer what I have discovered from a couple of pieces of scripture and also what I personally believe. But I also do believe that there are some very compelling bits of evidence and simple truths about Christianity that speak clearly into this question. But let's start with what the dictionary defines as faith. And I'll focus on two definitions. The first is a strong belief in the doctrine of a religion based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. 
I guess my own journey to becoming a Christian fits in quite well here. As a child of ten, I had a vision of Jesus. I didn't grow up in a Christian home and I didn't go to church. But I believe this is where Jesus introduced himself to me. And it preceded some very difficult years in my childhood. And I certainly can say he walked this walk alongside me. Some years later, when I had my first child, I started going to church, became involved in church life, and then, about 20 years later, really met the person of Jesus, was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, and fell in love with the person of Jesus Christ. Certainly, I have developed a strong belief in Jesus, and have been spiritually convicted of that faith. However, as part of the journey, I got to know, and I'm still getting to know, Jesus through the Bible. And in order to do this, I needed to know that I could trust what the Bible says. So I guess I did need to use my mind and intellect in this process, as well as my spiritual experience. The second definition of faith I found was the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Certainly both my spiritual and intellectual experience has led me to a complete trust in Jesus. Throughout my years as a Christian, life hasn't always been easy, but one thing has remained constant. The love and truth of Jesus and the way of Christian living, and both have supported me and never let me down. There are no promises that have not been kept, and there's no guidance and disciplines that have ever been wrong. And I can't say that about any other aspect of my life. That doesn't mean there are not challenges for me, or that every prayer that I have prayed has been answered. But I do have a deep, complete trust and confidence in Jesus and in Christianity. But let's have a look a little more widely at a story from the Old Testament that I also think may help us as Elijah takes on a real challenge. The first reading is from 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 1 and verses 17 to 39. After a long time in the third year the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. When Ahab saw Elijah he said to him Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves 
and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or travelling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering, and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar, and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All the kings of Israel and Judah had prophets sent by God to support and advise them. Ahab, the eighth king of Israel, also known as the most evil of the kings, didn't like the advice given by Elijah and refused to accept it was his own behaviours that were causing him problems. His wife Jezebel added fuel to the fire, drawing him away from Elijah and God, 
and introducing him to her religious practice, the worship of Baal. As a result, all of the prophets of God were killed or in hiding. Elijah, the most famous and dramatic of all the prophets, confronted and challenged Ahab boldly and courageously. Utterly assured in his belief of God, he stepped out into the firing line in order to demonstrate the weakness and absurdity of idol worship compared to the power and truth of the living God. He did this because he could completely trust that God's ways were right and just, and because a king had to be convinced of this in order to look after the people in his charge. Ahab clearly believed in the power of this other religion he'd embraced, for he sent word throughout Israel to call the prophets and all the people to witness the showdown that Elijah proposed. I can't help thinking that Elijah's words to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Could be used today. For these people were keeping their options open, weren't they? Unable to put their trust in one faith, just in case the other one may be better. But let's not forget the influence of their king upon them, because I believe we also will be influenced by people around us, convincing arguments, putting doubts into our minds. The challenge commences and the prophets of Baal over many hours using bizarre and abusive techniques call upon Baal to light the fire. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Compare this with the simple call from Elijah asking God to reveal himself so the people will know that he is the Lord and the people will turn back to him. And... When all the people saw the answer, they cried, the Lord, he is God. So is there any relevance from this story for us today? I think there could be. To start with, Elijah did what God asked him to do. He therefore could act with assurance and confidence. So the question has to be for us, do we listen to God before we act on his behalf? And then the religion that Ahab was promoted was bad for the people and their God had no power. Again, let's ask the question, are other religious practices good or damaging? Do they have any power or are they simply therapeutic practices that could have some benefit but are dependent on self as opposed to God? Also, the people were given the choice of what faith route to follow. Maybe we're sometimes tempted to convince people as opposed to show them the route to explore for themselves. And the power of God was seen by all, simply, clearly and so very powerfully, there was no doubt. Do we really believe ourselves in the power of God above any other God? Elijah could certainly fulfil the definition of faith the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. In the New Testament, there is another well-known story that I feel gives an even better understanding of the difference between Christianity and other faiths. The second reading is from Luke 15, verses 11 to 24. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this story, a wayward son demands his inheritance in order to seek a life of pleasure. It all goes woefully wrong, and destitute, hungry and miserable, he decides to return home back to the father he's so treated so shamefully. He determines he will atone for all he's done wrong by asking to, that if he can work and to work hard and earn his father's pleasure. But look what happens. The father in the story, who represents God, doesn't wait for an apology or the fruit of the first month's work. There's no probation period, no criticism. Just pure and utter delight at having his son back home and he's reinstated and elevated back into his position as beloved son. This is the message of Christianity. Yes, we are a sinful people, each and every one of us. But when we accept that and embrace the truth that God in the person of Jesus paid the price for all our wrongs and places us back in that perfect relationship, we're freed from the burden of guilt and striving. Now, compare this with some of the other major faiths. The Jewish faith requires atonement for sins through praying and good works. 613 commandments of the Torah to be worked through. Muslims move towards paradise by performing the five pillars. Hinduism says you need to store up enough good karma to reunite with Brahmin. And Buddhism requires you to enlighten yourself by practising the eightfold path. 
Now, some may say, ah, but what about the teaching in the New Testament about how we are to live as Christians? Isn't that the same as all the other faiths? We still have to behave and be good enough. No, it's not the same. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, when we accept Jesus as the Lord and Saviour, when we return to his loving arms, as the prodigal did, we are given the desire and strength to live as we should. We don't do it in our own strength and we don't have to earn God's forgiveness. And guess what? We will fail. We will make mistakes. Our sinful nature will rise its, raise its holy, ugly head from time to time. But one thing I know is that when this happens to me, God doesn't make me feel guilty. Other people may, but God doesn't. He is the most amazing father who can show, rebuke and discipline me, but he never makes me feel like a failure. When Jesus met me as a little girl of ten, he knew what I needed to get me through my childhood. When he came to me in the power of the Holy Spirit, when I was a youngish woman, he gave me a desire to get to really know him. Both of these spiritual revelations preceded very painful, difficult times in my life and I absolutely know I was equipped to deal with them. A loving father, caring for me without my asking or doing anything to earn that, I didn't do anything to achieve it. And it appears to me, looking now at the history of religious development, that so many of the other religions, if not all, have an Old Testament theology Jesus changed all of that because in our own strength we're not able to do so. Most of the religious faiths we have uh, all have something in common. Believing in things like justice, a desire for righteous living, treating others well, caring for the poor and the vulnerable, freedom from harmful practices and a good overcoming evil. But for me, resting in the arms of a loving God who accepts me for who I am, who believes in me and only wants the best for me, and who came out to meet me without my deserving anything, has to be tops. So how can I answer the question, what about other faiths? How can we say ours is true and theirs is not? I can answer. I know a little about some other faiths, and I have tried to have an open mind and understand the beliefs of others and what that means for them. I haven't travelled the world and seen other faiths in action and I'm sure there are communities that are wonderful to live in. But I can say I met with the person of Jesus Christ and I know him as my Lord and Saviour who delights and excites me, who brings peace and solace to me when I need it, who provides me with guidance and wisdom, who has given me hope when all has seemed desolate. So... Why should I look further? come now to a time of prayer and in some silence at the beginning we ask God to use the words that we have heard 
to speak deep into our hearts and to grow our love for him. Today is the fifth Sunday after Trinity, and so a prayer for today. Almighty God, send down upon your church the riches of your spirit, and kindle in all who minister the gospel your countless gifts of grace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today, Lord, we pray for your church, carrying a gospel of forgiveness and freedom, which is so much needed in our world. We pray that across the world, in the face of the coronavirus crisis, that people would turn to you. Thank you for all those who have a gift of sharing the good news of Jesus. And we pray that they would be given courage to speak out of the eternal hope that we have with generosity and respectfulness. Fill us with your love so that the world may believe. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Remember today countries where there is war, violence or any fragile peace and the countries which are struggling to contain the coronavirus pandemic. We pray for those researching a vaccine. We pray for those who are seeking to bring together warring parties. May hearts which have been darkened by violence discover a different light and a better way. May hearts which have been broken by the loss of loved ones be filled with your comfort and your love. And may the world discover the way of forgiveness, of peace and of healing found in Jesus. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the well-being of our communities. We pray that they would be places where all can flourish, where the weak are cared for, where there is harmony and celebration. We pray for all who lead these communities, and particularly our parish councillors. May their leadership be that of the servant and their goals those of the kingdom of God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all those who are going through times of trouble in our families, in our church and in our wider circle of friends. We know you to be both Lord and healer of a broken world and we ask you to touch with your generous love all those who are on our hearts today because of their special need. And in a moment of silence we remember them before God. May your love flood their lives with hope and healing in spirit, mind and body. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we pray for our church councils as they discuss the opening up of our churches. Lord, we pray for safety in our churches and in our communities, and we pray for understanding. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We draw our prayers to a conclusion by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. So, Already the St Michael's Church Council have met and we are going to be open for Sunday morning worship in August at 9.30. There'll be a short service of morning prayer. We are only allowed to have a maximum of 30 people to maintain social distancing in the building and we'll be announcing how we make sure that people won't be turned away because we haven't got the capacity. 
course there won't be singing and there won't be any opportunity to socialise after the service and we recognise that some of you may be very nervous anyway about being part of a gathering. But we have completed the relevant risk assessments to make sure that we can gather as safely as is possible. St John's PCC are meeting this week to make a decision on when worship will return at St John's. Please pray for them and please continue to pray for safety for our communities in the face of this pandemic. Once again, I want to thank you so much for continuing to give to the work of the church during this crisis when we've not been meeting together. And so a prayer which asks God to take what we've offered and use it for his glory. Heavenly Father, you are a generous God and you provide all that we need. We pray that you accept these offerings of our money as tokens of our love and service of you, that you would multiply them and use them for your glory in this place and beyond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we go on into this week, let's remember to pray for our young people who may have found the time particularly difficult. So as we hear God's words of blessing, let's remember these words of blessing are pronounced not only over us ourselves, but our families and friends and all those we love, and particularly those young people. So may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us and with those we love, now and always. Amen. Amen.